So this morning, uh, we are going to deal with John chapter 1, verses 38. But before we get there, we'll read that. It's very simple. By the way, my name is Donald. I'm a ruling elder. Just uh, stepped out of session for a sabbatical. Um, it's been an honor to serve um, this body uh, over these years. Uh, married to Maya. We've got two girls, beautiful girls. They're, they'll be here in second service. They generally sleep in. Me too. But... So we're going to deal with this question. I know we've been doing the series um, in Mark. Who is this Son of Man? Right? And the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, had many questions. We're going to deal with one question this morning. And uh, you can see that's up there. What do you want? So it's a question that's not very easy. It's easy to understand. It's very difficult to answer. It takes us a lifetime to be able to answer. And we've, we've all kind of asked this question or probably heard this question from, you know, our, our spouses, our, our bosses, you know, our neighbors, um, you know, in, in sometimes in frustration. What do you want? They really don't want the answer. It's basically saying, shut up, right? Don't talk, <laughs> right? We, we sometimes don't understand what's being asked or sometimes in frustration, we ask the question, sometimes in anger, sometimes in confusion, sometimes in desperation, really not knowing what is it, what is it that we really want. So some of our friends have been reading a book, uh, The Brothers Karamazov. I don't know if you've read it before, but you know, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. So some of our friends are reading it. There are some characters in that you know, one of the characters is Elder Zoisma. And there's a guy called Fyodor Pavlovich. He's a main character. His, his sons are the characters that this book is developing. But he says something which I thought was intriguing. And that's, it's not up there, but I'll read it for you. Just listen carefully. This is what Elder Zoisma is telling Fyodor Pavlovich. Above all, do not lie to yourselves. A man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point where he does not discern any truth either in himself or anywhere around him, and thus falls into disrespect towards himself and others. Not respecting anyone, he ceases to love, and having no love, he gives himself to passions and coarse pleasures in order to occupy and amuse himself. And his vices becomes a beast. And it all comes from lying continually to others and to himself. A man who lies to himself is often the first to take offense. It often feels very good to take offense, doesn't it? One of the things that we all struggle with is our own thoughts when they emerge from our being, old self, we have to be extremely cautious. Because we believe those thoughts, and they don't emerge from a good source. They emerge from our old man, who is sold out in sin, there is nothing that can please God in that old man. 
So we battle in our minds with, this old, with, with our own thoughts. No wonder the Word of God says, do not be anxious, but in everything through prayer. How is that thought connected to what, God, what Jesus is asking here this morning? God is asking, what do you want? He's asking for our deep desires and motivations and eventual goal. What is your goal? We're going to explore that a little bit. So let's read the verse. That's in John chapter 1, verses 38, right? It says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So the context is that Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus goes into the wilderness. And Jesus comes back after 40 days of fasting and being tempted by Satan for three, you know, three times as is recorded. And then he is now beginning his ministry and he's going to choose his disciples to follow him so that he can preach the kingdom's message. That is the message of himself taking on flesh to redeem mankind. So he's come back and John the Baptist just before this, he watches Jesus walk past him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And two disciples of John the Baptist who've been listening to him now follow after Jesus and go after him because obviously they've been schooled by John the Baptist well around the Old Testament and the redemption and the Redeemer and the Messiah. And so they, they start to follow after Jesus Christ. And obviously Jesus is walking and uh, he hears footsteps behind him. He stops and probably, I don't know, I'm imagining now, the footsteps stop, walks again. <laughs> they're, they're following him. So what did Jesus do? Jesus turned behind. Now it reminds me of, um, do you remember Moses, what Jesus did to Moses, right? He, he hid his face and he walked past him. He said, you'll see my back. You won't see my face. Because if you see me, you're going to be no more. You're going to die, basically. But this time we can see Jesus turn back. It's a turning back to his people. Because it was always God who initiated the conversation. It's always God who initiates the conversation. Even in Genesis, if you go back, when Adam and Eve had sinned and they were, they were guilty and they were shameful and they were hiding, it is God who came to the garden in the evening as he normally came and said, Where are you? It is God who initiates the conversation. Also, I, you know, as I was studying it, it's in the evening. It's about 4 p.m. that uh, these guys were following the two, Andrew and John, presumably, because John doesn't mention who the second disciple was. It was in the evening. It's almost like God is calling us back into his garden, into his fellowship back again into his fold back again. They hung out with Jesus that evening. But what is God getting after when he asked this question? If you take a deep dive into that particular question, you will see there are three things 
that we can pull out, right, as Presbyterians. We like the three points. We're going to go to three, right? Jesus' question gets to our identity. It's not what you want to do. Essentially, is who do you want? Yourself or God? There's only two competitors here. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else are idols that we've, we've framed for ourselves. There's only two competitors here. God is asking, who will you pick? What's your identity? Second, we can see the response of the apostles and the disciples, and we have some examples that we can look in. And the third question really comes down, as we understand who we are, as we understand what our history and our testimony of our people who have paved the roadway with their blood, showing us the path to eternal eternity, that is Jesus Christ, our destiny, what does, how, what does, what should that make us as a people? What should this question make us look like as a people group? Really, our identity is, is built up in what is, our, what is the meaning? Why are we doing what we're doing today? Whether it be at a job, you know, I'm at Merck Pharmaceuticals. Whether you're doing, you know, you're a doctor or an engineer or, you know, you are a salesperson. Whatever you're doing, why do you do what, what you're doing? gets down to meaning, gets down to purpose. What is my purpose of being in the office or in the restaurant, wherever I'm serving? What is the purpose of me being there? What is the destiny and what is the satisfaction that I derive? It's very interesting that the, the disciples said, Rabbi, teacher, and they would change that meaning of how, you know, what word they used to call him, eventually to call him Lord, Messiah. It's very fascinating that, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of say, Lord, you know, they, they didn't have big answers. <laughs> like, Jesus turned around, what do you want? It's like, ah, I don't know. Where are you staying? <laughs> or hang out with you? Hanging out with Jesus Christ? Do we do that? Oh, we reserved the five minutes for him. I read my Bible. I attended church. I attended a prayer meeting. Is there a deep desire to engage with him? Is there a desire to hang out with Christ? Because when they hung out with him, their lives were changed. And we'll see that. And Christ is asking us this morning, what do you want. You know, it's an uphill battle for all of us, right? And we, we sang the song, you know, we have to understand what God calls us, who God made us, right? The battle is uphill because the default self of humanity is I am the sovereign, right? We read that in Romans chapter 7. It's a lengthy passage, but I still want to read it because the default self we need to understand our default self. If we don't understand, if we don't have the reality of who we were, if you are in Christ, this is who you were. 
If we don't understand that, we are going to be confused. We are going to be confounded. We will be in this, this tension between the old and the new. Obviously, that tension is going to last till we die. But we need to understand who we were. And if you're not in Christ, this is who you are. Because this is what God is describing our old man to be. Watch. 7, on, seven 14 onwards. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. There's a lot of, I do not want to do, I do, right? I want to do, but I cannot do. What? In essence, what it's saying is, in your old man, there's only one thing that remains. What is it? What is it? You can say. Sin. That's it. What you have in your old man is sin. There is nothing in your old man. It's unbelievable, right? We, but... You know what we try to do? We try to take the old man and try to please God. It's not going to happen. Romans chapter 8, you just go to one chapter. It says, the old man, the flesh, cannot please God. It's not might. Cannot. So would we run away from this old man? And, and run to the new man created in Christ? What do you want? Want the old man? Because as human beings, we are intrinsically looking for validation. Like somebody would value me. Somebody would value what I say. Somebody would value some things that I do. I'm looking for validation. And in the garden, going back to the garden, Satan gave a great validation. You can be God. Just eat. Just disobey. You can be your master. You can be the sovereign. You can be your own destiny. I was watching, uh, you know, I was going through LinkedIn. I often go through LinkedIn just to kind of look at what our, all my colleagues are doing and, and engage with them. And one of the guys wrote down, you know, eight years ago I had this great journey. I now understand that everything that I, everything that I am, I am responsible 100%. I was eating toast when I was reading it, right? And I was like, this toast, I had nothing to do with it. I'm eating it, 
but so many people have worked towards getting that toast on my table. We have this false sense that we are 100% in control. We are 0% in control. You know why? Because it is the grace of God. It is the mercies of God. It is His mighty compassion towards us. We look for things in what we do. Right? We look for things outside of God, whether it's in clubs or belonging or, you know, in, in the neighborhood that we live in or in, in the education that we have, where do we derive our meaning and our satisfaction and our purpose and where do we look for our destiny? Where do we look for our identity, meaning, satisfaction, and purpose? To go to the next slide, Matt, uh, what if we pull... Everything was pulled off us. Imagine everything was stripped off you, right? You were nameless. Would we find satisfaction? I always ask the question. Imagine everything was removed away from you. Everything, absolutely everything. You were nameless. You had no, nothing that you can link yourself to. Would you be satisfied? And God says, yes, you can be. If you're rooted in me. If you are, if your identity is from God, we have everything. What does God's word encourage us? If you actually look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6, it kind of destroys all of what we are thinking we need because it's found in only one place. I know this, you know, whenever we come to church, it's like, Jesus is the answer. That's right. But the question is, do you understand the question? And is your life reflective of the answer that you give? Jesus is the answer. But is he truly? Or do you want something else? Are you looking for something else? All the time. You see in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it's beautiful. I love this verse. And, you know, the famous ones and the infamous really explain this well. Ravi Zacharias, and I'll go into his explanation. It says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Famously, Jews love the light because in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And they love the light. Greeks love knowledge. Hellenistic approach. They were Hellenizing wherever they went. Alexander the Great, Aristotle, Plato. The Romans love glory. It's always about victory. They wanted to kind of show the way they, they brought about their glory. There's an explanation from Ravi Zak. It was beautiful, I thought. But the culmination of all of that is in not the other things, but is in Jesus Christ. What do you want? You're looking for the light? You're looking for knowledge? You're looking for glory? You'll find it only in one face, the face of Jesus Christ. I want to read another small portion 
as we move into application here. Daniel 2, 34, 35 is brilliant. Explains of what is happening and what will happen to the kingdoms of the world. Everything that we accomplish or people accomplish outside of Christ, this is what's going to happen. Daniel 2, 34, 35, it says, while you were watching, this is, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, explaining his dream, first telling his dream and explaining his dream, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of clay and smashed them. This is the kingdoms of the world. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the iron and the clay, a rock that was cut out without hands, smashed that idol. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. Gone with the wind. You want to build something? In the world, it's going to go. What do you want? Jesus is asking this morning, what do you want? You want your kingdom or you want my kingdom? But the rock, it says, that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Jesus Christ and his church will fill the whole earth. What is our response going to be to this question, my friends, this morning? You look at Paul. He began with the question, why are you persecuting me? In the end, he says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. He says in Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. That is to the church. Here's a man who was persecuting the church. Now he is filling up the, the suffering for the church of Christ. Peter, he started with fishing. Jesus told him, I'm going to make you fisher of men. What did he end up doing after Jesus went to the cross? He started fishing again. God called him out from that and said, what do you want? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Last of all, Andrew, who was in this dialogue between God, Jesus Christ and uh, the disciples, what happened to him? He spent time with Christ, and then he went and found his brother. Say, hey, we found the Messiah. Come. Come and see, come. Exactly what Jesus said, come and see. Hang out with him. What's our response going to be? What does your day look like for the king and the kingdom? What does your week look like? What does your month look like? What do yours look like? You can start now. Ask the question and have an honest dialogue with Jesus and say, this is what I want. And he will keep clarifying. You know, when my, when my dad died, I was so angry with God. I was nine years old. I would always give him the choicest of words, which I would not repeat. And 
All I wanted was my dad. And when I grew up, all I wanted was to get a good job, to make enough money, and rub it in the faces of my relatives who wrote us off. And then I wanted a pretty wife, which God gave me. <laughs> I wanted children. I want many things. He's asking the question again and again. What do you want? Till I came to the point of saying, I want you, Lord. Not what you can give me, but you. I need you, Lord. When dad would come in, I always watch his hand. Does he have some gift for me? Does he have some eat eatables, you know, I can eat? I always think of stuff that he can give. I always watch his hand. You know, after he died, I want to see his face. I don't want what he has in his hand. I want his face. I want the fellowship, and I miss him. Even now, at 42, I still cry, and my daughters are, you know, come around me and say, you're going to see him once again. I miss him. Do we want the hands of God? Do you want his face? Do you want his fellowship? His friendship? Jesus turned around and spoke to them. What do you want? Let's examine this morning. You know, when you start to answer that question, our lives start to take a shape. Matthew chapter 5. I know it's Werner's favorite portions of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. We become a people group like that. It's blessedness, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and fall say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are we a people like this? God is calling us this morning to become a people like this. That we can be a blessing to the ones that come and see. And may we Endeavor, may we plead with God, may we bend our knees and ask Him this morning as we ruminate on the thoughts that the Holy Spirit has brought to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Even if it is because of severe mercy on us, you have called us to attention. You have shaped us. You have shaped our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our loves. You are challenging us to ask this question deeply and to root out the self from us and to pick up your cross.
and to follow you faithfully. We cannot do that, Lord. We cannot. In our old nature and old man, we cannot because we love ourselves more than we love you. We love our sin more than we love righteousness. But, God, thank you for your Holy Spirit inside of us that you have you raised us up with Christ that we can follow you. Enable us this morning. Bless this week, Lord, as we meditate on this one question. Help us to come to the answer that we want you, we need you. Enable us, we pray this in Jesus' name.